had a great job with Kroger, uh, had a great path I was about to follow, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to break off that path, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And I jumped into the, the entrepreneurship, the business ownership, by buying an answering service uh, in Lebanon here. Uh, and again, it was a, a friend of mine who had gotten into it, wanted to get out of it, and I thought, you know what, this is a perfect opportunity. I know nothing about it, but I'm going to try it. So we're answering the phones of plumbers, lawyers, doctors, people in the service sector, uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, we were consistently answering the phones and providing a service to those people who also provided services. And let me tell you this, everything was great for me. Uh, from the very beginning, it was great. It w I mean, it, it, you, know, you have that sense of pride that you own your own business, and, and I was prideful and, and, and happy about that until the third shift lady quit on me with no notice. And that meant I had to work the first shift and the third shift. Her absence meant that everything fell on my shoulders. And I uttered out that phrase, I think I'm in over my head. Now think about that phrase. I think I'm in over my head because it's probably something that we've all said. We, we've all made the statement that we feel like something in life has caused us to feel like we're in over our head. And let me tell you, if you haven't said that statement, then I know this. I know that you have felt that emotion. I think I'm in over my head. That's the thing that you say when you feel like you're trapped. Let me tell you, that's the thing that you say when you feel like you look at your circumstances in life and you say, there's just not any way out. And some of you would say this morning, whether you're in the auditorium or watching us online, that describes my life, Randy, right now. That's where I'm at. Two years ago, I was, I was working in a job. It was a nice job, a cushy job. I was making good money, making, uh, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. Everything was great. Then COVID came, and they cut back, and people quit, and people don't want to work. And now I'm doing the job of three people making the same amount of money. And I look at my job, and I realize I'm in over my head. Some of you would say that relationally. You have a family that's holding on by strings. You've got a son. You've got daughters. They're out of control. And you, and you look at your situation, and you don't know what to do. You're in over your head. Some of you would say that medically. You're in over your head medically. You've had the surgery, you've had the treatment, you're going through the chemo, you've had the radiation, and nothing seems to be working. You don't know what's next because, medically speaking, you're in over your head. Some of you are that way right now educationally. You're about to start college or you're about to finish college. And you don't know what's next. The job, the career, the position. You look at where you are and you feel like I'm in over my head. And even for the last couple of minutes, some of you have kind of surmised that, you know, I wasn't going to go to Crossroads this morning. I wasn't going to go online and watch the message. I didn't really feel like I needed to be in church today. But now you kind of know exactly why God has brought you to this place on this day. Because you feel like I had a camera in your life. You feel like I had a camera in your house, and I know exactly what it is that you're going through. Because you're in the circumstances where you feel like things are going to cave in on you, and you would say that statement, I feel like I'm in over my head. Let me give you the question of the day. Here it is. How do you find hope when you look at your circumstances and you feel like you're in over your head? How do you find hope when you feel like life is caving in on you? 
Well, I want to look at what the Bible says this morning, uh, and, and I took this from a different paraphrase. It's called the Phillips paraphrase for some of you that may ask. And if you're interested, here, here's what it says, Romans 12, verse 12, from the Phillips paraphrase. It says this, when trials come, endure them patiently. Steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. That's Romans 12, verse 12. And that's the Phillips paraphrase. Again, if you're looking for that particular verse, and, and you, you know they always have a, 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 an abbreviation like uh, NIV or, or Living Bible, you know, LB, it, it's PH. But the Phillips paraphrase says this. When those trials come, and, and listen to me this morning, when the trials come and they will come, endure those things patiently. But rem it doesn't matter what comes your way, steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. What do you do when you're in over your head? What do you do when there are circumstances in your life and you can't see the way out? You steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. Because listen this morning, that's what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. Again, look, look at this statement. I put this down so that you could see it. The disciples watched Jesus do that very thing. They watched him maintain the very habit of prayer. I mean, Jesus was in ministry for three years. And for three years, they watched Jesus get up early in the morning. And what would he do? He would go somewhere to pray. They would watch Jesus fast and pray. They would watch him get in a boat and go to the other side of the lake so that he could pray. They watched him almost weekly withdraw from crowds, big crowds, so that he could be alone and he could pray. The Bible says that they were so amazed at the prayer life of Jesus, that in Luke chapter 11, this is what they said. This is what they said to Jesus. They said this, Lord, teach us to pray. Now think about that. You, you, you sit there, whether you're here in the auditorium or watching online, you say, wait, wait, wait. They followed Jesus. They were his disciples. Didn't they already know how to pray? Yes, they did. They had a prayer life. But there was something distinctive about the prayer life of Jesus. They saw something different in the life of one who steadfastly maintained the habit of prayer. And they said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gave them the model for prayer, which we know is the Lord's Prayer. But here's what's interesting. After the Lord's Prayer, Jesus used a parable to take it one step, a story, to take it one step further so that he could teach the disciples how to pray. And the story was about a friend who had a friend who had a friend. Friend number one, friend number two, and friend number three. The story begins that Jesus tells with friend number one who has an unexpected guest to show up at his home around midnight. And he's hungry. And he doesn't have anything to eat. So friend number two shows up at the house of friend number one at midnight and doesn't have anything to eat. There's no food in the house. I mean, does anybody know what that's like? I mean... Around our house, we have lots of food in the house, but does anybody ever know, can, and you pick up what I'm putting down, we don't have nothing to eat. I mean, we, we have lots of food, but we don't have anything to eat. But somebody shows up at your house in the middle of the night, knocking on the door or ringing the doorbell, I mean, and you know you don't have anything to eat. What is it? It's scary. It's a little freaky. So this guy finds himself in a situation where it's like I described a while ago, it's midnight, Somebody's at the door, somebody needs something to eat, and he's in over his head. 
because he has a guest. And he has nothing to offer the guest to eat. So to be a good host, he goes next door to the house of friend number three. And he wants to ask that friend for some food for friend number two. But here's the thing. It's midnight. He knocks on the door. Friend number three, he has a ring camera, but it's not working, so he has to get up. He has to get up out of bed. The, the ring camera's not working. He, he knows it has to be somebody that needs something. He rubs the sleep out of his eyes. He looks out the window, and he sees there at his door, friend number one, and in a loud whisper, he says, what do you want? It's midnight. And the conversation probably went something like this. I, I realize that. But friend number two showed up at my house unexpectedly. And he's been traveling all day. And we had got to go orders from McAllister's for dinner last night, and we ate everything. So we don't have anything in the house to feed him. Do, do you have any bread that I could borrow? Now, see, here's the thing. Friend number three doesn't necessarily want to respond because he doesn't want to disturb his family and wake everybody up. But look at verse 7 of Luke chapter 11. Here's what he said. Here's what his response to, for, to friend number one who's trying to meet the friend of number two. This is what number three says. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in the bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And that has to be a frustrating experience for friend number one because friend number one is in a desperate place. He's in over his head and he doesn't have anything to offer number two to eat. He's got a need. And he's frustrated. And let me just say this. If you're here this morning or if you're watching us online, and you've ever been frustrated with your prayer life, then you can identify with this guy. Because I, wanna, I, I just want to tell you, all of us at some point in our life of following Jesus in our prayer life, all of us have been what I call this. Look at the screen behind me. I call this prayers who are disappointed. We've prayed and got no answer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, okay, I see. Well, I can just stop. Oh, you've got all your prayers answered, so I'm done. <laughs> I mean, does anybody know what I'm talking about? You prayed, and you prayed, and God just didn't say anything. I mean, you prayed, and you prayed, and it was like God had cotton in his ears. You prayed, and it's like all you heard was the silence of God himself. We've all had those times. I've had those times where I've asked God to speak to me and lead me through a particular situation. And I would say that those were some of the most difficult times. But you know what? All I experienced was the very silence of God himself. And that's where many of you are. You've prayed and the marriage is no better. You've prayed and the cancer hasn't gone away. You've prayed, and that desire that you have for alcohol and drugs is still there. The pregnancy test is still negative. The adoption still fell through. My guess is that every person under the sound of my voice at some point in their walk with Christ has experienced a place where you would what you would what I call you were what I would call a disappointed prayer. And honestly, can I just say this morning, I, I'm pretty transparent for those that don't know. I don't know why God doesn't answer your prayers. I don't know why God will not answer your prayers the way that you pray those prayers. The way that you think God should answer those prayers. 
But even though I don't know why God doesn't answer my prayers and your prayers the way that I think those prayers should be answered, here's the thing. Over the years, I've learned some things about prayer. And this morning, I, I just want to share a few of the things that I have learned. Let me, let me show you the first thing that I've learned. When you and I pray, most of the time we're asking for the wrong thing. We're asking for the wrong thing. We're asking for the wrong thing because, listen to me this morning, I'm going to make you understand this. I'm going to help you understand this. We don't really know what's best for us. We think we know what's best for us. But we really don't know what's best for us. Somebody told me years ago that God answers prayer four different ways. Yes, no, maybe. And are you kidding me? Those are the way that God answers prayer. Yes, no, wait, or maybe, and you got to be kidding me. Well, at the end of this story, Jesus asks in verse 11 and verse 12, look, look at it behind me, I want you to see this. This is what he says at the end of the story. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? See, here's the thing. No loving parent is going to give to their child something that's going to bite them. No loving parent is going to give to their child something that's going to poison them. See, here's the thing. Listen to me. Your child may ask for ice cream and cookies for dinner and cotton candy for dessert, but you don't give it to them, do you? Well, I know some of you may, but, but, but you shouldn't. You know it's not good for them. Why? Because a loving parent knows what your child needs. As a loving parent, you know what's good for your child. I mean, sometimes we ask God for the wrong things. And it's something I've done. I mean, it's, a, it's something I've done. I, I can remember there was an instance here where I was having an issue with how things were going and I was frustrated, and I was praying. I could be more graphic if I really wanted to. But I was totally frustrated with the way things are going, and God clearly said to me, it's not going to change. I mean, as clearly as I'm looking at you, God said to me, Randy, it's not going to change. Because listen, listen, listen. I had been praying for the wrong thing. But, but let me show you the second thing. Sometimes we're disappointed in our prayer life because we pray with the wrong motive. One time a, a mother of two of Jesus' disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, hey, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, like, like when you're sitting on the throne, can you put one of my sons on the right and one of my sons on the left? Can you do that for me? Can you do that in your kingdom? And Jesus looked at that mother and he said, you know what? You don't get it, lady. You don't even know what you're asking. Because my way is the way of the cross. My way is the way of suffering. My way is the way of selfless servanthood. And you want me to elevate your boy? You're worried about honor. That's the wrong motive. James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way. Look at James chapter 4, verse 3. He said, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. I mean, think about that. Have you prayed like that? Let's, let's just be honest this morning. How many of you last month prayed to win the Mega Millions? It's okay. This is a place of mercy and grace. This is a place of forgiveness. How many of you last month pray, prayed to win the Mega Millions? Let me tell you, 
I was praying for some of you to win the Mega Millions, okay? I didn't pray it. I didn't play it, but I would. I mean, I'm not scared to play it when it gets up that high. I don't encourage you to gamble. I don't encourage that. But if you do, make sure you tithe on it, okay? <laughs> but how many of you prayed last month to win the Mega Millions? You pray for your own pleasure. You pray with the wrong motive. You pray with your ego. You pray with your pride. But here's the third thing. Look, look at the third thing. Lots of times when we pray, it's just the wrong time. You're asking God for the right thing, but you're asking God for the right thing at the wrong time. God, I really want to be married. God, I really want a spouse. I really want that right now. And if you could make that happen by Labor Day, that'd be really, really good. But God's timing, here's, here's the thing I've understood. Listen, listen to me. God's timing is different from my timing. And he's maturing you and he's maturing me and he's preparing you and I for the right time. Or maybe he's, you know, maybe God hasn't brought that person into your life because he's got to get that person, the right person, ready for the right time. And, and maybe you just need to do like Ruth. Maybe you just need to take a bath. You know what I'm saying? And you just need to wait for God. See, some of you have given up on praying because you asked God for something and you didn't get what you wanted or you didn't get an answer. And you're not asking God anymore because you've already kind of figured out in your mind that, you know what, I've already asked him and God didn't give it to me, so God's just going to do what God's going to do. And there's no use for me going back and asking him again because God's already made up his mind. Can I give you some analyzation of that? Is that a word? But anyway, Carol, is that a word? Analyzation? Can I analyze that for you and give you just some, my opinion on that, that, that train of thought? That's like you saying, well, my dad told me that I couldn't drive the car and I'm never going to be able to drive. I'm never going to ask him again because... He told me I couldn't drive the car, so that means he's already made up his mind. Well, you know what? Maybe he did say that when you were 14, but now you're 35, so maybe you got to go back and ask your dad if you can drive the car. Let's move on, because I think this morning there's another group of prayers that are in the room. And here's what I would call those prayers. They are prayers who are developing. You know what that is? A developing prayer is a disappointed prayer who didn't give up. A developing prayer is a disappointed prayer who didn't give up on God. That's somebody who didn't give up on prayer. When they didn't get the answer that they wanted, they didn't give up, even though they asked for the wrong thing with the wrong motives at the wrong time. They didn't give up. And listen to me. Listen, listen, let's go back to the story. That's the number one friend in this story. Even though the guy, number three, doesn't want to get out of bed and give the bread to number one that he asked for, friend number one doesn't give up. And Jesus talks in verse 8 about how the guy just keeps knocking and the guy will not take no for an answer from friend number 3. As a matter of fact, the phrase that is used in verse 8 is that this guy has shameless audacity just to keep asking, to keep knocking in the middle of the night. And in this teaching, I think there are several things that Jesus is trying to teach us about the life of a developing prayer. Let me point some of this out. When friend number one has a problem, where did he go? He goes to a neighbor who apparently is his friend. Now think about this. He goes to someone who he already has an established relationship with. 
I mean, we all have neighborhoods, uh, houses in our neighborhood that we would not dare go to that house at the middle of the night. Anybody, I mean, you would not dare knock on that door in the middle of the night. But evidently, in this story, this guy was close enough friends with friend number three that he knew that when he went over at midnight and started banging the door, that their friendship could withstand a midnight door-pounding session. So he felt totally comfortable going and knocking on the door. And I think what Jesus is trying to communicate to us is simply this. Look behind me on the screen. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's trying to help us understand that a personal relationship with God is a characteristic of somebody who is a developing prayer. Because that person has a close relationship with God. It's like that very first song that we sing today. You are a friend of God. And the reason that some of you are so frustrated in your prayer life right now is simply because you don't have a personal relationship with God. Look at Hebrews 10 verse 19. Here's what it says. It says, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. What is that place? Heaven's most holy place. That's the place where God resides. He lives. So how do we enter that place? We can enter that place, the most holy place, the place where God resides, because of the blood of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, that's the key to heaven's most holy place. Listen, listen, Jesus opened the door for us. Now, some of you were raised in the Catholic Church, and I'm not hating on you, but just let me tell you this. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You don't need Mary. You don't need another saint. You can boldly go into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And if you receive the blood of Jesus in your life and you have a relationship with God, then you can go right into that place. Accepting the blood of Jesus, accepting the substitute payment that Jesus made on the cross on your behalf is the beginning part of that relationship where it gets personal with God. And you have been guaranteed access to heaven's most holy place only when you have allowed God to adopt you into his family. with or through the blood of Jesus. And I just need to say straight to you this morning, to some of you, until you do business with the facts that I just gave you, your prayer life is not going to be what you want it to be. Because you don't have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest thing that some of you could do today. Is to establish that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Some of you today just need to fall on your knees before this service is over. And you just need to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I know that I need Jesus. I know that I need his grace. I need his blood to do for me what I could never do for myself. I need a personal relationship with you, God, through your son, Jesus Christ. So in this story that Jesus is telling, number one, friend number one, approaches friend number three. Friend number one approaches friend number three based on this personal relationship that they have. They're friends. Now, here's something else that I see in the life of a developing prayer. Look at the screen behind me. They have and they maintain a healthy sense of inadequacy. Think about it. This guy going to his buddy next door 
and admitting that he has a need is something that most men would never do. Right, women? Men will never admit that they have a need. Effective praying always starts with admitting to God that you have a situation that you can't solve on your own. And you just voice it out, God, I need you. Developing prayers are people who admit their own inadequacy. And they acknowledge that need to God. And you know what they do? A developing developing prayer runs to God. Here's the third thing I want you to see about developing prayers. They pray with passion and intensity. Developing prayers don't give up simply because they didn't get the answer they were asking for when they prayed the first time. Look at at what Jesus says in telling this story. Luke chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your, here's here's those words, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, let's all read this together. I'm going to say those those first five words again, and let's all read the rest of this verse together. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So friend number one is out there in the middle of the night, and he just keeps knocking on the door. Anybody at home, does anybody have any bread that you can share? Anybody going to help a brother out? Anybody going to come and help me so the police don't show up because of this whole debacle? And finally, friend number three comes to the door and says, oh, okay, I will give you some bread. And that guy's like, that's all I wanted to hear. Now listen to me, people. You have to be passionate. And you have to keep knocking. And this morning, listen to me this morning, you may be wondering what in the heck is Jesus trying to communicate? Is he telling me I need to be like friend number one and I need to pester God and badger God about the things that I want in my life? No. See, you need to understand that Jesus isn't comparing the neighbor to God. But he's contrasting the neighbor to God. He's saying that if an an imperfect, stubborn friend will get up in the middle of the night, then how much more does a gracious God who gave his son for you on the cross, then how much more will he respond to the needs that you have? How much more will God respond to the needs that you truly have? Because listen to me this morning, Crossroads. God only wants the things that are best for you. Look at verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, the one thing that you will get when you are praying with intensity is you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit to walk with you through whatever it is that you're going through. And and you're sitting there saying, well, I don't want the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want a car. I want a job. I want a career. I want a house. I want a husband. And instead, I'm going to get God the Holy Spirit? That's not... But think about that. Who would you rather have? Walking with you through a circumstance than the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everywhere God of the universe to walk with you through your circumstances. 
Now, here's what's interesting. An interesting thing happens over time. You see those disappointed prayers who become developing prayers. And over time, here's what they become. Look at the screen behind me. They become prayers who are devoted, people who are devoted in their prayer life. These are the people who have reached a point in their prayer life where they understand that prayer works. They understand the power of prayer. They understand how prayer works. And let me tell you this morning, I'm going to give you clarity. Prayer works in one of two ways. A devoted prayer knows that it's going to work one way or the other. Oftentimes, because of the power of prayer, God is going to change the circumstance, whatever that may be in your life. He's going to change the circumstance or he's going to change the situation because of prayer. And the other way that God works is that when God chooses not to change the circumstances, he's going to change you. I know you don't like that necessarily. But if he chooses not to change the circumstance, he's going to change you or he's going to reshape you. And you say, well, what, what makes you think that's the way it works? Well, there are tons of examples in the Bible. But one of the best examples is an example that's found in the Old Testament. Where there's a king by the name of Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah was told by his friend, the prophet Isaiah, that Hezekiah is about to die. And here's what happens. Hezekiah starts to pray. Hezekiah starts praying with intensity. And he asks God, God, change your mind about my life. Change your mind about my death. I want to live some more. And you know what? That actually happens. God changes his mind. And he gives Hezekiah 15 more years of life. The prayers of Hezekiah changed his circumstances. Because, listen to me this morning here, listen, because prayer can make a difference. And sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes prayer changes the circumstance. So don't give up on prayer. And that's the thing that devoted prayers know. They know that prayer and the power of prayer has the power to change circumstances. But sometimes prayer is going to have a way of changing you and reshaping you. And you're not always going to find your, your, your circumstances changing. I mean, even think about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He wanted his circumstances to change. See, he had this thorn in his flesh, and we don't really know what the thorn was, but, but Paul had prayed and prayed and prayed to God and said, God, would you take this thorn from my flesh? And God said, you know, Paul, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to heal you. But, Paul, I'm going to give you grace because my grace is sufficient for you. And, Paul, as you live out your life, I'm going to be with you. I mean, even Jesus prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, let this cross, let this cup be taken from me. Now think about that. Instead of God taking that away from Jesus, his only son, God sent an angel to Jesus so that that angel could minister to him. God will be with you. God will send you His Spirit at the right time, at the right place to walk through whatever circumstance that you may find yourself in. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. And I think it would be a great way to close this message out. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to take humility and it's going to take courage. Because here's what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need for you to admit. Get those lights back down, Allie. That you have an area in your life 
where you would say, you know what, I'm in over my head. And I know this morning that I need God and I need his power. And I need his presence in my circumstance that I find myself in right now. Because some of you are in that place. You're in a place where you would say, you know what, I'm in over my head right now. And this morning, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to continue to live out the last days of your life or the rest of your life always playing the victim? You've got to decide this morning whether you're going to let fear overcome you in the circumstances you find yourself in. Or in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make another decision. In just a minute, I'm going to get you, those who are willing in this auditorium, those who are willing to say, Randy, I'm in a situation right now in my life where I am in over my head. Then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up as an indication of your faith. You're standing up in just a minute when I ask you to. It's just a way of saying that you believe that God can answer and will answer prayer about your situation. And here's what's going to happen. As you stand up and others stand up around you, Every person in this room is going to look at you and see you and begin to pray for you and your situation. And we're going to pray for your needs. For some others, the greatest thing that you can do today is to enter into that personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So maybe in just a minute when I invite those other people to stand, that you just stand up. And you just, you know, when you stand up, that's just your way of saying, Randy, I am spiritually in over my head. And I need the grace of God to come into my life. So when you stand up in just a moment, that's going to be your indication that you want to invite Jesus into your life. And that may be what you need to do today. find yourself this morning in a situation where you are in over your head. You are in over your head, but I want you to hear me. Your heavenly father is never in over his head. So if you find yourself in a situation like I have described throughout this message, if you right now are in a place in your life where you need the prayers of the people around you. Here's what I'm asking you to do right now. Check it out. Just stand up. Because it's going to take humility. And it's going to take courage. But just stand up. Don't be embarrassed. Because we've all been there. And can I just be honest with you this morning as you're looking at me? If I was in the auditorium right now, I would be standing up. And for those that aren't standing... You can stand up at any time if you feel that's what you need to do. But for those that are standing, I just want to thank you. Because what you're doing by standing is admitting that you have faith that God can move in your life. You have faith that he can move in your circumstance. That place where you would admit this morning that you're in over your head. Life can be hard. Listen to me this morning. I want you to hear me. Life can be hard, and the reason that you're standing right now are many. 
But this is what I call a trust God moment. So church, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask those in this auditorium, those who are watching online, those who are seated, to pray with me. And if you see somebody who is close to you, standing close to you, you may, listen, 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 you may not know their need, you may not know their name, but God does. And we stand here and we sit here in his presence because this is a trust God moment. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, we're so thankful for this amazing example that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who steadfastly led a life of prayer. Because prayer has the power to change people and situations, and it has the, tra- the power to change us. So right now in your presence, God, we lift up all those people in this auditorium who are standing. You know their name and you know their need. God, we're just asking that you, by your spirit, to answer their prayers. Give them what they're praying for. Because, God, as their father, you know what's best for them. And, God, in those weird ways where you seem to not give us what we ask for, ask for, change them, shape them, reshape them and make them into the people that you have called them personally to be. Finances, relationship, health, marriages, all kinds of needs are represented in these people who are standing. We just pray right now, God, that by your spirit that you minister to each one where they are and that they sense and they feel your presence. And God, that you do in their lives what you do in yours. Go before them, behind them, strengthen them. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name.
Jesus.